All right. Good morning, church. I'm so glad that you have joined us today. Now, while this format might not be the format that's preferred, we can all be thankful for the technology that allows us to stay connected in times like these. Please know that we miss you. We are so eager to be able to see you again face to face. In this season of life and in this season of ministry, we want to remind and to encourage you to stay in communication with your family, with your friends, and with your neighbors. Now is the time to love God and to serve God by loving others and serving others. If you should need anything from the staff or from the church, we want to encourage you to reach out and communicate those needs to us. In fact, in the description below this video, you'll find all of our contact information there. Now before we get started, for those of you that are watching this live, we want to encourage you to go ahead and check in to the chat box here to the left of this video, or it's actually to the right for you, and give us a shout. Let us know where you're watching this from. As you're doing that, do you have your Bibles? If so, go ahead and grab them and open them up. We'll be in Psalm 119 for our scripture reading, and then we'll continue our message series through Amos chapter 8. So you got your Bible? You got your coffee? I would assume some of you are still in pajamas, which is a bit weird. I almost forgot. Let's, let's take a moment and, and, and stand to greet those that are around you. It doesn't really work in this format, does it? All right, enough of all that. Why don't we begin with a word of prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. God, we ask your blessings upon our time together. God, may your word speak truth and life into each and every one of us. And God, may your spirit bring conviction. And God, may all that we do and all that we say bring honor and glory unto you. Father, we pray that you are so pleased by what you see in us. And God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing. And we thank you for what's to come. In the midst of all the confusion and the chaos of this world today, we find peace and comfort in knowing that you are sovereign in and through it all. And so, Father, today, we ask your blessings upon this time. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.
scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 119, verses 65 to 72. If you would, take a moment, get your Bible, and open up and follow along with me this morning. I'll be reading from the ESV translation. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. We pray this morning that wherever you are and whatever your state is, affliction, difficulty, fear, that you place your trust in the Lord, you find joy in his word, and that through this service today, Lord, that you, the Lord may renew you. May God bless you. We love you.
take those Bibles now and let's go to Amos chapter 8. And as you're turning there, let me just remind you that we are in the midst of looking at a series of visions that God gave unto Amos. Last week in chapter 7, we dealt with three visions, the vision of the locust, uh, that of the consuming fire, and then of the plumb line. All three of them were pictures of how God's judgment was going to fall upon the northern kingdom of Israel. Now in chapter 8, we're going to look at another vision from the Lord. This time he's going to use a ripe summer basket to picture how the northern kingdom of Israel was ripe for judgment. 
And so in chapter 8, we could actually break it down into three separate sections. The first one would deal with the question of what. What's going to happen? Well, the what is uh, the coming judgment. And so what is answered in verses 1, 2, and 3. And then we get to the why. Why is judgment coming? Well, the answer to that is going to be found in verses 4 through 6. And then the how. How is this judgment going to happen? Well, that's contained in verses 7 through 14. And so in chapter 8, it picks up after Amos's painful encounter uh, with, with Amaziah. Amos then receives a further message from God. And so let's begin with verse number 1. It says, Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, there was a basket of summer fruit. He said, What do you see, Amos? And I said, A basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, The end has come for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The songs of the palace will turn uh, to wailing in that day, declares the Lord God. Many will be the corpses. In every place they will cast them forth in silence. So God often uses common objects to teach important spiritual truths. And so in this text, he uses the basket of summer fruit or ripe fruit. And so just as the the fruit was ripe for eating, so is the nation of Israel ripe for the judgment of God. Which means there comes a time when God's long-suffering will come to an end. There comes a time where God will, will rain down his judgment upon the people. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 and 7, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion upon him. And, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Amen. That is such beautiful news. See, Amos is told that God's judgment was going to be fully executed upon his people. And when it was executed, then it would be a bitter harvest for the Israelites. The, the nation was ultimately and finally and completely going to reap what it had been sowing. And so the people would be so overwhelmed that they would even be unable to discuss the tragedy. Silence was going to reign in the land. I mean, going back to the end of verse number 3, it says, Many will be the corpses in every place. They will cast them forth in silence. So here we see the what. What's going to happen? Well, God's judgment is going to come. Now we get into why. Why is the judgment of the Lord going to reign and fall down upon his people? Well, the answer is really rather simple. Because the Israelites had broken God's law. They failed to live in accordance to their covenantal relationship that they had with God. I want you to consider the Ten Commandments, right? There's there's two parts of the law 
that are contained within the Ten Commandments. Uh, Commandments 1 through 4, the first part of the law, well, those have to deal with our relationship with God. Then the second part of the law, Commandments uh, 5 through 10, well, those deal with our relationship with each other. And, And so the first part is the vertical relationship, and the second part deals with the horizontal. And the thing that was happening here is that the northern kingdom of Israel, well, they were rebelling against both the first part and the second part. In other words, they didn't love God properly, nor did they love one another properly. In fact, it says in Matthew chapter 22, beginning of verse number 34, tells us that when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Then he says, The second is like it, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So so therefore, we must love God and love one another. We cannot properly love God without loving one another. And so we love God and we serve God and we love one another and we serve one another. Now, in Amos chapter 8, he's going to mention five specific offenses that the northern kingdom of Israel was guilty of. And these offenses revealed how they were in violation of both the first part and the second part of the law. And so let's look at these, if we will. And so in verse number 4, it says, Hear this, you who trample the needy, to do away with the humble of the land. Here the people were abusing the poor and the needy. They robbed them of their little possessions. And this was an indictment that Amos had often brought against the people. In fact, let me show you. Turn with me in the Bible now. Go back to Amos chapter 2. In chapter 2, beginning in verse number 6, it says, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. Because they sell the righteous for money and and the needy for a pair of sandals. These who pant after the very dust of the earth and the head of the helpless also turn aside the way of the humble. And a man and his father resort to the same girl in order to profane my holy name. So he he mentions this offense in chapter 2. He he does it again in chapter 4. This time in in verse number 1 it says, Hear these words, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, Bring now that we may drink. And then again in chapter 5. Turn with me in chapter 5. We'll pick up in verse number uh, 11. It says, therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor and exact a tribute of grain from them, though you have built houses of well-hewn stone, yet you will not live in them. 
You have planted pleasant vineyards, yet you will not drink of their wine. For I know your transgressions are many, and your sins are great. You, who distress the righteous and accept bribes, and turn aside the poor in the gate. So, so Amos is consistently going back to point out how they are grossly negligent in how they treated other people, how they took advantage of those that were poor, those that were struggling, those that had legitimate needs. Instead of assisting and helping them, they took advantage of them for their own personal gain. So uh, they were guilty of social injustice, Not only that, they were guilty of superficial worship. Look in verse number 5. Verse number 5 says, uh, saying, When uh, will the new moon be over, so that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath, that we may open the wheat market, to make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger, and to cheat with dishonest scales. Oh, there's a lot that's going on right now. Uh, so b- by law or by ritual or by r- routine, uh, the citizens, they honored uh, the weekly day of worship or they honored the Sabbath, but they only honored it in, in the respect that they were going through the motions. Uh, they were in the habit uh, uh, of worshiping, but their worship came from a place of impurity In other words, their heart wasn't fully connected or engaged with with that opportunity. So the law of God, instead of being something encouraged or embraced or celebrated, God's law ultimately was a thorn in the flesh of the people. By their actions, they revealed how they truly, really despised worship. Worship for them interrupted their, their daily affairs. It in, interrupted their, their business opportunities. Gathering for worship ultimately cut into their profits. So even though the people sat in worship, they longed for it to be over. Their thoughts were, were not upon the Lord. They were not upon praising His holy name. Rather, their thoughts were on their personal lives. They, they were consumed with how can they go about making more money for themselves, not to make more money to share with others. They, they were all about themselves. And as a result of this disconnected worship, their worship was dis- disgraceful and disrespectful unto God. And so the people were guilty of social injustice. They were guilty of superficial worship. And even in verse number 5, we also see how they were guilty of theft. At every possible opportunity, they took advantage of other people. When they did business, they used inaccurate measurements so that they could rob from the consumer. The law demanded that they use accurate weights and measures. You can read about that in like places like Leviticus chapter 10 or Deuteronomy chapter 25. And so by law, they were required to use accurate measurements, but, but they weren't respectful to the law. They didn't care about what, what God's standard was. For them, 
All they cared about was, was to make as much money as they possibly could. And if it required them to take advantage of other people, then so be it. They didn't care. And so they're guilty of social injustice, guilty of superficial worship, guilty of stealing from others. Verse number 6, we'll see how the people were guilty of enslaving others. Verse 6 says, So as to buy the helpless for money and the needy for a pair of sandals, and that we may sell the refuse of the wheat. Let me just say this, just so that I could be perfectly concise and clear. In God's eyes, any form of slavery is despicable. And we ought not be engaged in any of it. And so the people were guilty of enslaving other people. And then they were guilty of deception. Verse 6 again, it says that, that we may sell the refuse of the wheat. In other words, whenever possible, the, the merchants sold inferior products in order to increase their profits. And so they gave the appearance of selling something good, but it wasn't. And they did so so that they could make more money for themselves. So after declaring what will happen, God's judgment, after declaring why it was going to happen, and he gives five specific reasons, then Amos deals with the how. How is the judgment of God going to occur? And so the prophet uses some word pictures here to describe the coming judgment of God. And so let's pick up in verse number 7. In fact, I'm just going to read through 7. Let's go through 7 through the end of the chapter real quick. It says, The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, Indeed, I will never forget any of their deeds. Because of this, will not the land quake, and everyone who dwells in it mourn? Indeed, all of it will rise up like the Nile, and it will be tossed about and subside like the Nile of Egypt. It will come about in that day, declares the Lord God, that I make the sun go down at noon and make the earth dark in broad daylight. Then I will turn your festivals into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. And I will bring sackcloth on everyone's loins and baldness on every head. And I will make it like a time of mourning for an only son. At the end of it will be like a bitter day. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine in the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the beautiful virgins and the young men will faint from thirst. As for those who swear by the guilt of Samaria, who say, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, 
they will fall and not rise again. So again, here the prophet uses four pictures to describe the terror of the coming judgment of God. The first picture was that of an earthquake, and that is found in verse number 8. It says, because of this will not the land quake. So, so the first picture is that of a great earthquake. And then in verse number 9, he talks about the picture is that of darkness. Verse 9 says that uh, I will make the sun go down at noon and will make the earth dark in broad daylight. And so we see uh, the picture of an earthquake. We see the picture of, uh, of darkness. And then in verse number 10, we, we see the picture, and the picture is that of a, of a funeral. It says this, this famine would be so great, and the judgment would be so severe that the word picture that's used to describe it all is, is a funeral service. And parents would, would mourn greatly if their one and only son died, because if their one and only son passed away, then there would be no one left to pass on the family name. The family line would die, would cease to exist. And so God's judgment that he was about to bring meant, an, it meant the end of the nation. The northern kingdom of Israel will never reign again like it once did. And so he uses the picture of an earthquake. He uses the picture of darkness. He uses the picture of a funeral. And then finally, the judgment, the picture that's used is that of great famine. Go back to verse number 11. Hear these words again. It says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek a word from the Lord, but they will not find it. I mean, the famine that they were going to experience was not just the famine of food. It wasn't just the famine of water. No, but it was a famine also of, of spiritual nourishment. And so when Jesus, think back, when Jesus was, was tempted in the wilderness, his response to the temptation in Matthew chapter 4, verse number 4 says, It is written, man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, now when he quoted this scripture, Jesus was making a reference back to Deuteronomy. In fact, he was referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. I want you to listen as I read this portion of Scripture. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning of verse number 1, it says, All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give you to your forefathers. You shall remember all the ways which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. 
Verse 3 says, He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that He might make you understand that man does not live on bread alone but man lives on everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. And so in times of crisis, people often will turn to the Lord seeking some type of, of guidance, some, some word of encouragement, and rightfully so. But here, for the northern kingdom of Israel, no words of guidance, no words of encouragement would come. I mean, what a tragedy to have plenty of religion, but never receive a word from the Lord. I mean, think about it. That means no light in the darkness. It means no nourishment for the soul. It means no direction for making decisions. It means no protection from the lies of the enemy. In fact, the people would stagger around like drunks, staggering from from one place to another, always hoping to find food, hoping to find something to drink, hoping to find some type of spiritual sustenance for their souls, but they would never find it. They would never find relief. They would never find comfort. Which begs the question, Is it possible that we too, like the northern kingdom of Israel, is it possible that we too can become ripe for judgment? Can a person become so enslaved by their sin that they reach the point that they never seek to repent? Can a person become so hardened and calloused towards God that no matter what happens in their life, no matter if it's a severe crisis or if it's some threatening circumstance in their life, I mean, can a person become so callous towards God that they will never turn away from their sin and fully trust in the Lord? I mean, is this even possible? Well, I believe our text this morning tells us that the answer to that question is a very frightening yes. Oh, yes, indeed, it is possible. It is very possible for us to be so consumed and so hungry for our our sin and our sinful appetite to be met, that, that we grow callous and cold towards the prompting of God to repent from those sins and to fully and rightfully pursue Him. I want you to listen to what the psalmist has to say in Psalms chapter 81. In fact, as I read this portion of Scripture for you, I want you to uh, take your Bibles And turn with me to Romans chapter 1. I want you to go to Romans chapter 1. And as you're turning there, listen as I read to you a portion from Psalm chapter 81. This portion of Scripture comes from 
uh, chapters, I'm sorry, verses 10 through 12. It says, I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. But the Lord said, they didn't listen. They didn't respond. And because of their stubbornness and their consistent pursuit of sin, God ultimately, He gave them over to it. And this is what the Apostle Paul teaches us as well. The Apostle Paul affirms this reality in his letter to the Romans. So now that your Bibles are in Romans chapter 1, I want you to follow along. Let me get there real quick. Look at verse number 15. Verse 15 says, So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Then in verse number 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. I go back to that verse. Pay attention to what he's saying. He says, for since the creation of the world, the invisible attributes of God... His eternal power, His divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish hearts was darkened. Professing to be wise, They became fools in exchanging the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged their natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function 
of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, here he goes, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So as you can see in the verses that we just looked at, people who are classified as having a a reprobate mind have some knowledge of God and perhaps even know of His commandments. However, the problem is they live impure lives and they have very little desire to please God. See, for them, sin is, is justified. Sin is not just justified, sin is accepted and encouraged among others. And so to those who have reprobate minds, to those who are living corrupt and selfish lives, may you know that there will come a time when God will release you to that reprobate mind and that rejecting, cold, calloused heart. There comes a time where He just stops. My hope and my prayer is that those that are watching and and listening now, that that time hasn't been achieved yet in your life. You still have a chance, you still have a decision to be made with your life to fully, to wholly, to completely put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There is no greater decision that you could ever make than making the decision to trust in Him. Oh, God loves you. God loves you so much that He sent out a plan to purchase your forgiveness. And that plan was through His Son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ left His exalted position in heaven, humbled Himself, taking on the form of human flesh, and He lived among us in perfect fellowship with God, never once violating His law, never once violating the commandments of the Father. He, he lived in perfection. He, he lived in, and He taught and He served and He demonstrated what it means to be fully and completely in line with the Father. 
And then as a result of his life, they took him, they charged him with chumped-up charges. They found whatever reason that they could to justify the slaughtering of an innocent man. But Jesus humbled himself, was obedient, obedient to the Father, even unto death. And Jesus went to the cross. Jesus was nailed to the cross, bearing our sin. And God executed his judgment upon sin with the death of his son. But oh, the glorious news. Oh, the the beautiful reality, especially when we gather in a couple of weeks from today, whether it's online or it's actually in person, when we gather together to celebrate Resurrection Sunday, the beautiful news is that death did not keep a hold on Jesus, that Jesus was victorious over death. And so for those that put our faith and trust in him, a beautiful exchange occurs. Jesus took on our sin, and we put our faith and trust in him, and we get to take on his righteousness that is only because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what Jesus promised to do that we have any right to approach our Heavenly Father. So my prayer for you today is that you would put your faith and trust in Jesus. That you would recognize because of your sin, you are separated from God. You have no right to, uh, to uh, approach Him. You have no right to have access to heaven. The only hope that you have is in nothing that you can do for yourself. It's in everything that was done on your behalf in the life of Jesus Christ. Our prayer today is that you'll put your hope and trust in Jesus, that you would confess your need for a Savior, and that you would wholly submit your life unto Him. When you make that declaration and that decision for you, may you get into His Word every single day. May you begin to know the Word of God, because by knowing His Word, that you'll have a better knowledge of God. For those that already trust in him. My question for you is, how, how is that being lived out in your life today? Are you fully embracing God's call on your life? Are there areas in your life that need to be dealt with today? Are there decisions that you know that you need to make in order to live in a right relationship with the Father? My prayer for you is that the Holy Spirit would bring that conviction into your heart and life and that you would, in that conviction, confess those sins and seek to repent from them. Even right now, whether you're on your couch, laying in bed, at a dining room table, wherever you're at, make that decision today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day, this time together. God, I thank you for your word. What a great privilege it is to be able to open your word, to find encouragement, to find understanding. God, may we all understand who we are in relation to you. God, may we have a better understanding of what you expect from us. 
And God, may your spirit bring conviction into our lives. Some people need to repent of their sins. Some people need to just turn right now and, and tap their spouse on the shoulder and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my ugliness. I'm sorry for my bitterness. I'm sorry for my hurtful uh, language that comes from my mouth. Would you forgive me? Children need to ask forgiveness for parents for, for disobedience. There's all kinds of decisions that need to be made right now. Father, help us to, to make the right decision today. And God, not just in this moment right now, Help us to have a great hunger for your word, a desire to know it better, and not just to know it for knowledge's sake, but to know it for wisdom's sake so that we can rightfully apply the knowledge in how we live. Father, may you be pleased, and may you be honored, and may you be glorified from the response of your people. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, church like we do every time, or maybe not every time, but many times. Let me just close with this final benediction for you. May God bless you. May God go before you to lead you, behind you to protect you, beneath you to sustain you, and beside you to befriend you. Do not be afraid. God the Father, God the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit will always be with you, so don't be afraid. Go. Glorify God and seek to make his glory known. Amen. We'll see you next time, church.